0: Performance Hall on the beautiful campus of Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. It's the Indiana Public Radio Holiday Drama. Oh, no. the live radio broadcast of A Chris Mystery, the world premiere of a new play by Michael Kleberg. Tonight, our story, story is told by a venerable cast of local talent direct from the Muncie and Ball State communities that you know and love. Perhaps you've seen them on the Muncie Civic Stage or in the University Theater. Perhaps you've even heard them on Indiana Public Radio. Well, here they are gathered in one place to tell this thrilling holiday tale. So turn up your radios, light the fireplace, and gather your loved ones as we bring you this mysterious and puzzling holiday story. But before we begin tonight's radio drama, we'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the generosity of our public radio family. It's the support of this extended family that makes programs like the holiday radio drama possible. This performance would not be possible without the generous support of our presenting sponsor, Lifestream Services, with major support by Meeks Mortuary and Crematory, Michelle Walker Thriven Financial, and Yorktown Public Library. Additional support is provided by Marks Service Center and Prime Trust Federal Credit Union. But mostly, we would like to thank you, dear listeners, for it is the gift of your warm support that allows Indiana Public Radio to bring stories such as A Chris Mystery to life. Thank you for being a part of our family. And now, Indiana Public Radio Theater presents A Chris Mystery.
1: Christmas Eve. I stood looking out my office window where the ceaseless blinking red and green lights changed the hue of my dull old shirt. My office window overlooks a traffic light, so it happens all year. What does it matter? I don't have that many shirts. Another thing I don't have much of, business. I didn't expect a line out the door on December 24th, but maybe one client might have brought me some of that old Christmas cheer, but no one came. Yet another thing that made Christmas Eve just like any other day, to me anyway, I'm a PI, you see, a gumshoe, a flat foot without a badge. It says so right on those very same windows I look out of all the time, on my office door and on the window facing the street. The trouble is it's backwards on the windows from where I stand, so I can't always read what it says. Business, just like antibacterial wipes and toilet tissue, was in short supply these days. In a good month, I might track down a wayward husband or two, but it had been ages since I'd had a good month. I seldom took home more than new creases in my bright, shiny pants. So instead, I kept an eye out for the cheapest scotch I could find, and plenty of it. I was thinking I might as well close up early and head for my lonely apartment with my only holiday companion, Bogey, my springer spaniel, the best partner and the truest friend I ever had. In my cases over the years, his hearing and his sense of smell had proved invaluable to the solve. As if he sensed my thoughts, Bogey padded into the room. Phil? Yeah,
2: Bogey? You know I always advocate for maintaining integrity and doing the honorable thing,
1: correct? Absolutely, Bob. But today I have a feeling that no one's coming. Should we close up early? I had the very same feeling. Maybe we can catch the butcher before he folds up the shutters. What do you say, Bob? Does a nice big beef bone sound good for Christmas dinner?
2: Not as nice as a nice big ribeye, but... Only you know if our credit is still
1: good at the butcher's. Ah, why not? You deserve it. We'll have a feast on Christmas and who cares if we can't afford it? Two ribeyes coming up.
2: Um, uh, Phil, speaking of coming up... Yeah? I'm
1: quite certain someone is coming up the stairs. Someone is what?
2: Mr. Barlow, uh,
1: are you Mr. Barlow? I'm Barlow, all right. How can I help you, Mr...
3: Hammer. I'm Dasho Hammer. I'm in a jam, Mr. Barlow, a real jam. You have to help me.
1: Come on in and have a seat. Uh, Mr. Hammer, if you don't mind, I'm going to take some notes.
2: Mr. Hammer, is there a problem? Uh, a talking dog.
3: I have a talking dog myself. How is that a problem? Uh, Oh, no, no. You see, my fiancé has a talking cat. A talking cat? Uh, Yes, the cat's name is Betty. Betty.
2: Ah, Betty. So you're the lucky swain who captured the heart of Daphne du Lessier.
1: Yes, but how on earth... He reads the papers.
2: Uh... A talking dog who reads the papers. And takes notes. Betty reads the papers, too. Mostly the society pages. And they've had plenty to say lately about you and Miss DuLessier.
3: I know. Betty likes to fill us in on all the gossip whenever Daphne and I are alone. When she runs out of details, she uh, critiques my courting skills.
1: <laughs> That's Betty, all right. Yeah, why don't you just shoo her out of the room?
3: Because she does all this from the top of the bookcase. I can't reach her, not even with a broom. Besides, Daphne and that cat are inseparable. She's already told me that if I want to marry her, Betty is part of the package. Mr.
1: Hammer, surely you didn't come to see us about a talking cat?
3: No, uh, something far more serious. It all started around uh, 10.30 or so. Shirley Jake's, one of Daphne's oldest friends, had stopped by to visit. The three of us went into the breakfast room to talk to Mrs. Delissier, who was reading the paper.
4: Mother? Oh, Mother,
0: it finally happened. My goodness, you're a giddy goose. What finally happened, dear? What a surprise, Mrs. D. The biggest surprise I've ever seen. I can't believe Daphne and Dash will allow me to be in on it. I'm so excited. Yes, Shirley, I can tell. Daphne. Dash has proposed. He asked me to marry him. Well, it's about time. Isn't that exciting, Mrs. D.? I'm so excited. I want to be in the wedding party. Daphne, can I be in the
5: wedding party? I'm sure we'll have that discussion soon, Shirley. In the meantime,
3: congratulations,
5: Mr. Hammer.
3: Oh, thanks, Mrs. D.
5: Now let me see the ring.
3: Oh, That's something we wanted to talk to you about. Oh. Daphne hasn't seen the ring yet. Dasha wants to keep the ring a secret. Shirley, I know you and Daphne have been friends forever, but can I please take it from here? Oh, sorry, Dasha. I'm just so excited. Mrs. D, I'm, I'm completely Daffy about Daffy. I can't wait to spend my whole life making her happy.
5: Oh, you dear boy. I've known that for months but I'm glad to hear you say it.
3: Daffy has invited lots of her friends to your Christmas party tonight. I'm gonna be
0: here, I can hardly
3: wait. Of course, just like every year.
4: Mother, we were wondering.
3: Yes? I would like to formally propose to Daphne at the party and present the ring to her then.
0: Oh, I am so roaning. You
3: are a romantic, Mr. Hammer, aren't you? Well, I think it would mean the world to Daffy. It would, it really would, so can we, Mother?
0: Please?
6: Absolutely not. Oh,
0: Dr. Delessy, hate to have me your father. Oh,
6: Arthur. He's just another dirt poor vagrant after the family fortune. Anyone can see that.
4: Daddy, that's a horrible thing to say.
6: Oh, it's a sensible thing to say. No proposals, no engagements, no hangers-on are welcome at our party this evening. Is that clear, Mr. Hammer?
1: Well, I'm very sorry it worked out that way, Mr. Hammer. It sounds to me like Mrs. is right, though. You're quite the romantic, and it sounds like you picked the perfect setting.
3: Oh, Mr. Barlow, you should see their penthouse. It's strung from top to bottom with lights. LED lights, of course, so they're especially beautiful. In the front hall, just outside the elevator, they have the most real-looking nativity set on display that I've ever seen. I almost stopped to talk to Mary to see how she was holding up. And the tree, oh, my word, that tree is nine feet tall with a blazing star at the top of it. Imagine Daphne's friends gathered around in such a setting. It
1: sounds dazzling, certainly, but uh, Mr. Hammer, we're investigators, not family counselors. I know that, Mr. Barlow, but
3: the story goes from bad to, to worse. In that case, please continue.
4: Oh, Mother, what are we going to do? Dashiell
5: isn't like that. He's not like that. He's not like that at all. Of course not, Daphne. If I thought otherwise, I would have intervened a long time ago. I'm grateful for your support, ma'am,
3: but what do we do? Hmm, I'll tell you what. Dashiell, do you have the ring? Right here in my pocket. I haven't let go of it since I picked it up at the jeweler's this morning. And may I have a look?
0: Show her, Dashiell, show her! Mrs. D. prepare to be blown away! Well, ma'am,
3: it's like Shirley here said before, Daffy hasn't even seen it yet.
5: Well, I understand, and she won't see it now. Just let me have a look. Oh, oh my. Daphne, you listen to me, child. You latch on to Mr. Hammer and never, ever let go. Do you hear me? Yes,
4: Mother. Yes.
5: (sighs) Mr. Hammer, I have an idea. Please, let's hear it. It's probably best if you were to disappear for a while. When the doctor is in such a foul humor, the only person who can approach him is me. Although Daphne comes in a close second. That said, I don't think it's smart for you to be wandering around this city with this ring in your pocket. May I ask for your trust? Oh, ma'am, of course. Will you leave this ring with me? It's going to be busy around here for the rest of the day, with everyone getting ready for tonight. I'll lock the ring in my dressing table. Tonight, at the party, when the moment is right, I'll return the ring to you, and you and Daphne will have your moment. But no matter how loud the doctor gets, make sure
3: you attend. Are we clear? As Crystal, Mrs. D.
0: Oh, he'll be here, Mrs. D. Daphne and I will see to it. This is so exciting! Uh,
2: Mr. Hammer, I am glad that you have Mrs. Delessier on your side, but I still don't see what we can do for you. Uh, I'm coming to that.
3: I left the Delessiers afterwards. Shirley Jakes and I shared a cab, then we dropped her off at her apartment first. About an hour later, I had just walked in the door when I got a phone call. Baby, calm down. I can hardly understand you. What happened?
4: It's gone, Dash. The ring. It's gone. What? Mother locked in her dressing table. She she, she told me she'd check it on the hour every hour until the party that night. She went to look. Then it's gone.
3: But I... Where could it have gone in one hour? I don't
4: know. The staff has been frightfully busy getting the house ready for the party. None of them have gone near Mother's room. They've been too busy to have taken it.
3: Oh... How is your mom handling it?
4: Oh, Dash, well, she's a wreck. She's trying to pretend everything's fine, but I can tell she's
3: anything but. That does it. I'm going to find help. I'll be there as soon as I can.
4: But, Dash, what about Daddy?
3: Oh, uh, you let me handle him? Really? You're going to handle Daddy? Or die trying.
1: A stolen ring. Stolen. Well, Mr. Hammer, we appreciate your confidence in us. We do indeed. Well, you were the only one still open. Will you help me? Bogue, it looks like that ribeye's gonna have to wait. Some matters take precedence. Mr. Hammer, will you run
2: downstairs and fetch us a cab? Right away.
1: Well, Bogue, what do you think?
2: That was fun. It isn't often a dog gets a human to play
1: fetch. I mean, what do you think about the case? It couldn't be more obvious. I was just thinking the same thing. Shall we investigate? Let's go. 1 p.m. Still Christmas Eve. It was cold out and the snow was blowing everywhere. We gave the address and the driver frowned. I guess we didn't exactly look like Park Avenue material. A second-rate unshaven P.I. in a rumpled suit an agitated, disheveled man with red eyes who couldn't stop fidgeting, and a springer spaniel with glasses. Bogey sat up straight between me and Hammer, his eyes riveted on the meter, I stared out the windscreen. Hammer kept counsel with his troubles, which followed us everywhere, with no intention of splitting the fare. When we got to the address, the three of us approached the doorman. I wondered how we were going to get into the building, but luckily the doorman was a dogman who made a big fuss over Bogey. If there's anything Bogey can't stand, it's his own fans, so I didn't dare let him catch me laughing. We took the elevator up to the penthouse, and the door slid open onto a hallway more opulent than any residence I had ever occupied. At the end of the hallway loomed huge double doors, carved and stained, and early American expensive. Bogey, his dignity ruffled, led us down the hallway, hammer wrapped.
4: Dashiell, thank God you're here.
3: Daffy, I'd like you to meet my associates. This is Mr. Barlow.
4: Thank you for coming to our aid on Christmas Eve, Mr. Barlow. Please, come in.
1: Miss Daphne, uh, this is my partner, Bogey. A pleasure, Miss Daphne.
4: Oh, my goodness. Another pet who speaks.
1: I also read the
2: papers and
7: take notes.
4: Welcome to our home, Mr. Bogey. You ought to get along fine with...
7: I know that voice. Bogey, darling. It's been too long. Daphne, Bogey and I are old friends.
2: Hello, Betty. Grand to see you. Betty, this is my partner, Philip Barlow. Phil, this
7: is... My real name is Lauren, but everyone calls me Betty. You'll do likewise, Mr. Barlow, if you please.
1: It would be my pleasure, Miss Betty.
7: Naturally. Uh,
1: Miss Daphne, Bogey and I understand that something has been uh, misplaced. We're confident we can find it for you. Do we have your permission to look into it?
4: Please, Mr. Barlow, just do me the favor of avoiding Mother's room. She's taken this loss very hard, and I've insisted she try and get some rest. You see, she's determined that we'll still have our party tonight. She keeps saying that we can't disappoint the people who have RSVP'd and are so looking forward, but I don't see how we could possibly have a party this evening, but Mother will not be denied.
1: Miss Daphne, I promise you we won't disturb anybody. I would suggest you get some rest yourself. In the meantime, we'll try our best to blend in.
7: Bogey, you know how I loathe when people blend in. What do you say we retire to the library and make ourselves comfortable?
2: Betty, it's like you read my mind.
1: 1.30 p.m. Christmas Eve. I never take a step without my faithful partner by my side, but Bogey always had a reason for doing anything he did, even if the reason wasn't clear to me in the moment. Since he and Betty went back so far, I was content to let him be led away by her for a private chat. He'd get useful information out of her if there was any to be had. Besides, from uh, what little I had seen of Miss Betty, Bogey was much better equipped to handle than I was.
2: Betty, it's kind of hard to have an intelligent conversation with you when you're way up there on the bookshelves.
7: Oh, but Bogey, I want to make sure that nothing escapes my notice. The juiciest conversations take place in this very room, and no one thinks of being careful about what they say in front of a uh, cat.
2: Oh? What have you heard? And how recently?
7: Why, just at noon today. You know Mason Peregrine, the family lawyer? Hmm.
2: Phil and I were at the office at noon today, thinking about closing up early, when Mr. Hammer arrived. And yes, I know Mason Peregrine quite well. I've testified in court both for and against him. He's good. Sneaky good. You can't predict the man.
7: Well, he was on the guest list anyway, but the good Dr. Delessier summoned him early after his little temper tantrum here in the library with Mrs. Dean.
6: I'm telling you, Peregrine, I don't like it.
8: I don't like it one bit. I can see that, Arthur. It's awfully early in the day to be drinking 18-year-old scotch. What about this is troubling you? I don't like
6: that Dashel Hammer. He's just another fortune hunter. Daphne's so daffy about him that she can't even see it.
8: I wonder. What? We go back a long way, Arthur, do we?
6: Yes, yes, of course we do.
8: What of it? Aren't you listening to me? Arthur, I've married off two daughters.
6: Yes, yes, Renee and Nora. Mrs. Dulessier and I were there. What
8: of it? It's been, what now, ten years and eight years...
6: Fine. Ten years and eight years. I'm sure they're very happy.
8: Oh, they are. They are indeed very happy.
6: All right, Peregrine. Where are you leading me?
8: Renee and Nora brought home their share of immediate thumb downs, but then came Ian and Nick. Ian and Nick. They were young, those two. Their prospects were uncertain, just like they were with many young people these days, but they had a different look about them. That Ian, for instance, he dotes on Renee, and he's such a good father to Collie. Mason, I don't need to review your family history. What are you telling me? Can I refill your glass for you? Always. I'm telling you that I have some experience with daughters and their suitors. I'm telling you that Dashiell Hammer has the same look about him that Ian and Nick had around my girls. I'm telling you, as your lawyer, but more so as your friend, that boy deserves more of a chance than you're giving him. He's no Chandler Ray.
6: Mason, do not mention that name in my presence again.
8: But that's who you see whenever Daphne brings someone home, Arthur. Am I right? Well, possibly. Besides, I have a paper here that just might... What?
6: Has Jean been at you as Well... All of a sudden, in the midst of all these Christmas preparations, all she wants to talk about is Daschlehammer, hammer all morning long. All right, Mason, I'll admit the boy seems earnest. He does treat her well. I think the most impressive thing I've ever seen is how, when she's not feeling well or needs some time to herself, he leaves her alone, unlike that ineffable fool Ray. Oh, he clinged to her like a virus. I thought I said never to mention his name in my presence. Uh, I didn't that
8: time, Art. You did.
6: (sighs) This scotch must be stronger than I think.
8: Now, about this paper...
6: Never mind your paper, Mason. I have some ideas for a paper of my own. Get your legal pad ready. I'm gonna deliver a
7: message. So what was the message? I'll tell you in my own good time. No, you're being kittenish, eh? Very well, Miss Betty, we've done battle before. I give you this much credit, Bogie. You waited nearly five whole minutes before you brought it up. The law has a long memory, Betty. Oh, kitty litter. The law makes a big noise over trifles.
2: That hardly call the theft of a Bentley a trifle?
7: It was a simple matter, really. That dreadful housekeeper brought home tuna, packed in oil. You know I cannot tolerate oil. It gives me positively abhorrent stomach pains. No, I must have fancy albacore in water, even if I must go get it myself. I get it. You were
2: just borrowing the Bentley.
7: Well, I would have had it not been for your silly interference. It was only a few miles. Betty. And the money I took from Mrs. Delessier's purse belonged to me. Betty. However, was I supposed to pay for the tuna? Mrs. Delessier canceled my credit line. No,
2: Betty, knock it off. You made it too easy. I knew it was you
7: all along. All right, you tail-wagging wastrel. You never did tell me how you guessed it was me.
2: Easy one, Betty. First, Mrs. Dulesier's purse. You knocked it over to get the keys to the Bentley, but you left it on the floor right by your scratching post. Mrs. Dulessier never leaves anything on the floor. You, on the other hand, you're forever knocking things over, Betty, but you never put anything back.
7: Very astute.
2: Then there was the driver's seat.
7: The driver's seat.
2: The cops were mystified by the cross-country skis in the driver's seat. I knew you couldn't reach the gas pedal without help.
7: Oh, you nauseating, nullifying nuisance!
2: I also knew you couldn't see over the steering wheel. That explained the stack of shoeboxes, and besides... Besides... You're a cat, Betty. You leave behind paw prints. Those paw prints carry a distinctive scent.
7: Oh, you horrid hound! You spiteful spaniel! (laughs) But I do appreciate how you hid the garage door opener. That was very charitable.
2: You may be a cat, but cats don't belong in prison. Without the opener, they couldn't figure out how you backed the Bentley out of the garage.
7: It was, after all, a trifle. I'll admit, that was a kindness. So? Still friends? (laughs) Of course, darling. Do you have any idea of the culprit behind this caper? I have my suspicions. Ooh, I then, do tell. I'm I'll all tell used. you in my own good time. Now!
1: Almost 2 p.m. As a PI, I have a maxim that I live by, absolutely. If you're curious about the nature of a business, talk to the CEO. But if you're curious about the operation of that same business, talk to the secretaries. They know everything far more than the CEOs. So I wasn't idle while Bogey sniffed out a fact or two from Miss Betty. The smells coming from the kitchen made my stomach sing Christmas carols. The Delessiers did not keep a secretary in their home, but they had the equivalent. The head housekeeper was a short, frazzled woman named Wilkie. While we spoke, she constantly withdrew a rag from her pocket and mopped her face. Wilkie struck me as the kind of staff who was always busy, but could also tuck herself into a corner for an entire evening and not be noticed. I would have made a fat wager that she knew that household. I found her in the kitchen, laboring to keep the food for the evening's festivities on task. And if the aromas were any indication, it was going to be a successful evening.
9: Well, yes, sir. I've worked for the Delessiers for over two decades, sir.
1: Two decades? Wow, you must be happy here.
9: Well, the Delessiers are very good to me, sir. Mrs. Delessier regards me as one of the family.
1: So you can be trusted with the family's private business? Of course, sir. And you do anything to protect the family, if you could.
9: I would, sir.
1: So you're aware of what happened in this household today?
9: Well, I am, sir, and it breaks my heart. Mrs. Delessier and Miss Daphne were twittering like a couple birds. They were. and. And all of a sudden everything changed.
1: Now, Wilkie, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but do you know anything about what happened? Do you have any idea who stole the ring?
9: Well, sir Yeah. You see, sir, just yesterday I was doing my regular rounds of cleaning and straightening when I happened past the library door. Miss Daphne had a visitor, but she wanted nothing to do with them. So mister Hammer went into the library in her stead. Chandler
3: no one was expecting you.
9: Of course they weren't.
3: Can I offer you a
10: drink? I've already indulged, old boy. But perhaps you'd be a good fellow and fetch me a refill. That Dr. Dulessier does keep the finest scotch. There's the good fellow. Unexpectedly good manners.
3: So, Chandler, I'm a little surprised to see you. Yes, after all, I've been dismissed. You weren't dismissed, Chandler. Daphne simply decided that you weren't right for her. Semantics, Hammer. But what
10: else can one expect from a scrabbling author always trying to boost his vocabulary?
3: Is that why you're here, Chandler? Are you trying to take me down to your level? I'm here to reclaim what is rightfully mine. Huh, rightfully yours? Correct, Daphne. Daphne isn't yours, Chandler. She doesn't belong to anyone. She's a grown woman who makes her own decisions. And I'll let you in on one of those decisions. She doesn't want to see you. Of course she doesn't.
10: Her heart would melt at the sight of me.
3: She'd tumble into my arms. And then she'd have
10: to admit that she'd made a mistake. She'll know that I was always right for her, as you so prosaically put it. She'll beg me to take her back.
3: You have it all wrong, Chandler. She begged me to come down here and ask that you leave immediately. Ha! That Daphne would ever think of such
10: a thing. She needs me, Hammer. She needs someone with family background. She needs someone of means. Someone to cling to at life's rough turns. Someone with experience in the world. Not some third-rate hack from Jersey City who occasionally publishes articles about
3: sanitation worker strikes.
10: Another refill, old boy?
3: I think you've had enough, Chandler. Besides, it's not even my scotch. It's
10: time for you to go. I am not leaving until I have seen Daphne. Chandler! Just be a good sport and
3: go fetch her, will you please? I didn't want to pull this on you, Chandler, but I see no other choice. Oh! Something to pull on me! This sounds delicious, do tell! Regardless of what you think of my talents, Chandler, One of the things I've gotten very good at as a news writer is research. I like to get my facts straight. It's irresponsible to publish something without checking into it, closely. Quite so. Wouldn't want to misplace a comma. Sometimes in my research I just wander around the city, keeping my ear to the ground. Where the dog droppings are? Where sometimes the most fascinating news items pop up. Shall I give you an example? I'm all ears. Should I refill my drink for this? If you get up off your lazy behind and get it yourself you write about one thing, Chandler. I'm one of the common folk. It's those Jersey City origins. Mm. I'm perfectly content in the company of other common folk. I especially like the people who hang around in the local establishments. You know, the ones with action going in the back room. Roulette wheels, crap games, poker, the works. One night at Dizzy's on Kennedy Boulevard, the regulars found out who I'd been dating. Oh, they had to give me the business for a while, but it was all in good fun. Then, one of the regulars started gossiping. He said she'll do better by you than by that last clown she ran around with. Would you like to know who he was referring to, Chandler? I... Apparently, Chandler. You're much more of a regular at such establishments than I am. But there are a few big differences between the two of us. You run up quite the bar tab, and you accumulate one impressive pile of debt. And imagine how astounded I was to learn that you refused to settle those debts. I need a drink. Oh, you need more than a drink, my friend. I've taken the liberty of furnishing Mason Peregrine with the information about your... obligations, shall we call them. Naturally, I included contact information for people who could verify the sums involved. Mr. Peregrine himself made the calls. You may have heard that Dr. Delissier has something of a... volcanic temper? But it's nothing compared to the people you owe. It would be smart of you to settle those debts before someone a lot less casual than me about such things comes to collect. You stinking heck! Hey, Chandler. I don't make the news. I just report it. Peregrine presented the information to Daphne. He had to. Dr. Delissier was out in Central Park punching trees after he found out. Daphne was already having second doubts about you, Chandler. But your debt sealed the deal. I- You better be going, Chandler. This isn't overhammer.
10: You think you've stolen what's mine? Maybe I'll take something that belongs to you.
3: Stay safe, Chandler.
1: So, not only a jilted ex, but a threat to go along with it.
9: Well, I leave making meaning out of it to others, sir. I'm only telling what I heard. Oh, sir, if you'll excuse me, I'd best see to the door. Of course, go.
1: 2.30 p.m. Bogie joined me in the kitchen. We tried quietly comparing notes, but the arrival of Miss Shirley Jakes put a swift end to that. I don't think Shirley Jakes ever entered a room quietly. Anyone within a mile could have heard her. One blast from those mighty pipes of hers and all the local factories would have changed shifts. But Daphne Delessier claimed her friendship, and Miss Jake showed up immediately upon receipt of the summons, so maybe she was a good friend.
9: Oh, it's so early. Hardly anything's ready. No one's expected at this hour. Oh. Good afternoon, Miss Jakes. Hi, Wilkie. How's Daphne? I came as soon as I got her message. Well, as you might expect, Miss Jakes, Miss Daphne's having a rough go of it. So's Mrs. Delessier. They're both having a lie down at the moment. Is there anything at all I can do? Well, Mr. Dashiell has brought in two investigators to try to find the ring. One of them just finished interviewing me, but he's still in the kitchen if you care to talk to him. He looks very much like he missed both breakfast and lunch, poor thing. I- I- investigators? Uh, you mean uh, the police? Oh, Wilkie may not much have much of an education, Miss Jakes, but even she can tell that those are not the police. No, it's a pair of private investigators. Oh, is that all? How exciting! I'll gladly talk with them. In the kitchen, ma'am.
2: Good afternoon, miss. Can we help you?
0: Are you the investigator sent by Dashiell Hammer?
2: We are indeed. He is Philip Barlow, the head of our agency. I am Bogie, his partner. I don't have a last name. But I do take notes and read the papers.
0: What can I do to help? You see, I want to go straight to Daphne, but she's resting. I'm not surprised. I was here pretty late into the last evening with Daphne and Dashiell. We're all good friends, you see. They told me about their plans. I was so excited. I couldn't believe that they'd let me in on such a private moment. But we've been friends for a long time. Oh, my goodness. Dashiell let me see the ring. It must be worth a fortune. I'm so excited. I want to be in the wedding party. Do you think they'll let me in the wedding party?
2: Well, if you're all such good friends... How long have you and Miss Daphne been friends?
0: Oh, forever, it seems like. But we met as freshmen in college. Uh,
1: What did you study?
0: I was in journalism. Daphne pretty much stayed with general studies.
1: Journalism? Yeah,
0: that's where I met Daschle.
2: Oh, so you knew both of the principals beforehand? Yes,
0: yes I did, and I'll save you some work. Daschle and I dated for two years.
2: Two
1: years. Yes. That's quite a time investment.
0: It certainly was.
1: At the risk of getting personal, Miss Chase. Why
0: did we split up? That's always what everyone wants to know.
1: Well, since you asked my question (laughs) It's easy
0: to experience, but hard to explain. After two years, you'd kind of expect a relationship to reach a new level. Ours never did. I mean, I loved him and he loved me, but our love became more like sister and brother. We both realized it around the same time, so we split up.
2: How did he take it?
0: It was a difficult few months afterward. Like I said, I loved him, but whenever the subject of taking our relationship to the next level came up, he got kind of, well, he got kind of obtuse. Uh, he kept saying he looked forward to a much more calm, quiet life after college. I had no idea what he meant. I could just see that as a couple, we were heading in different directions.
1: Hmm, how long after your breakup did uh, Dashiel and Daphne get together?
0: I don't know, six months, maybe? I don't remember the exact time frame. He knew Daphne from our time together. They told me that they met up in the cafeteria one afternoon, right around finals, and they just hit it off.
2: Then you weren't bitter about that?
0: Oh, heavens no. I was happy for them. They're both good people, and after I thought about it, they seemed like a good match. I'm so excited. Did you and
1: Daphne ever discuss it?
0: Daphne hardly spoke about anything else. She kept telling me all these wonderful things they did together, and how sometimes she and Dash would just sit together on the balcony of the Delessier apartment holding hands and not saying a word. I mean, who does that? But I can see for certain that her feelings for Dasha were growing. It's funny. She ended nearly every sentence with, I'm sorry, Shirley, is this too much? The truth is, the more together they became, the more liberated I felt. I was free to concentrate on other things. I've since found someone new. Miss
1: Jakes, one last question. (laughs) Uh, Can you think of anyone with a uh, good reason to steal Daphne's engagement ring?
0: I can mostly think of people who had no reason at all. Mrs. D'Alessie gave her full blessing right in front of the three of us Dr. Delessier might have disapproved of the match but to dispose of the ring he would have had to get past his wife and I promise you that's never gonna happen he has a temper but he's not that stupid I suppose Yes. some people might find my story suspect let me reiterate I am not jealous of the two of them if anything I'm thrilled for Daffy because I know how much in love with
9: Dashiell she is I'm
0: just excited I'm so
9: excited Beg pardon, Mr. Barlow Miss Jakes Miss Daphne is awake and would like to see you
0: I'm on my way That is, if you don't need me for anything else, Mr. Barlow I can't wait to see Daphne I'm so excited
1: Wow, (laughs) Bogue. Yep, wow, Phil Miss Jakes sure answered a lot of questions
2: Most of which we didn't even ask
11: Hmm
1: Bogey and I needed a minute to catch our breath. we had accumulated a hefty stash of information in our brief time at the Delessier home. Strange stories, questionable characters, uncertain motives. There had to be an end in sight, but neither Bogey nor I could see it. Actually, Phil, I could see it. Yeah, I think I can too, but I had to say something to make people come back for the second act. <laughs>
0: Chris Mystery on Indiana Public Radio. WBST 92.1 Muncie, WBSB 89.5 Anderson, WBSW 90.9 Marion, and WBSH 91.1 Hagerstown, Newcastle. Streaming online at IndianaPublicRadio.org and the new Ball State Public Media mobile app. And now, back to Act Two of A Chris Mystery.
1: 5 p.m. The time had come to confront this entire household and get on top of the mystery. I asked Wilkie for help and she set us up in the doctor's library. And what a library it was. The Delessier family owned more books in that one room than I had ever read in my lifetime. Make no mistake, this was a diverse family. Of course plenty of shelves housed medical books and journals, but that was hardly all. They had entire sections devoted to philosophy and psychology. Title after title about exercise. A lifetime supply of novels. I was amused to find a small section devoted to devious cats. They even kept an astounding collection of vintage Star Trek comic books. But I had a mystery to solve. I would have to browse some other time. Shall we begin? Folks, I want to thank everyone for interrupting your party preparations. I want to thank Mr. Peregrine and Mr. Hammer for joining us. I know it's a busy day, but my partner Bogey and I feel we're very close. We have some questions for you, and we thought it best to ask with everyone present. I'm hoping that we'll get to the top of this mystery in fairly short order, so please make yourselves comfortable.
3: I'll stand if it's all the same. This is so
2: exciting!
1: If nobody minds, I'm going to take some notes. What? A dog
2: who takes notes? I also read the newspapers.
6: What kind of outfit are you running, Barlow? A talking dog is your sole partner in a detective agency? Hey, he has his
8: license. Careful, Arthur. I've enlisted Bogey's help in no small number of my cases. He's as sharp in his profession as you are in yours. It would not pay to underestimate him. I am
2: fully certified, Dr. Lessier. I studied detective sciences in school. That's where I learned to take notes. Plus, if I may be so bold, a talking dog is hardly out of place in a home with a talking cat.
7: And what a talking cat. Am I right, Bogie dear?
2: There's no one else quite like you, Betty.
7: Oh, aren't you the flatterer. Uh,
1: Folks, if we could get started.
2: Please, Mr. Barlow, proceed. Ma'am,
1: if you wouldn't mind, Mrs. Delessier, may we start with you?
5: Wilkie, if you please. Of course, ma'am. By all means, Mr. Barlow, ask away. I feel so awful. I just want to resolve this dreadful business. Of
0: course you do, darling. What a terrible loss.
9: Pardon my interrupting, ma'am. Mr. Ray has arrived. Season's
10: greetings, one and all. How fine to be included in this holiday coffee clutch. Although I'd much prefer scotch. But will you just look at this place?
6: It's so festive.
10: And Daphne, my little cupcake, you've never looked more radiant.
6: Ray, I ought to... Daddy, please,
4: don't Hurt him? Chandler, please leave.
10: Isn't that sweet? I am truly touched by your
6: concern for me, my love.
0: I'm concerned for my father, Chandler. Just leave, will you? You need to listen to Daphne, Chandler. Please, just go. You
6: heard my daughter. You oily, slimy lech. How dare you show up uninvited? Get out of my house before I... But
10: Arthur, old sport. I was invited. What?
2: Impossible. We've made it clear you are not welcome here. Calmly, good doctor. It was I who invited Mr. Ray. You? Why? Because Mr. Barlow and I have questions for him as
1: well.
4: <laughs> you should have questions for him. Lots of questions.
1: We do, and we will get to them shortly. First, let's see what we can do to get Mrs. Delessier feeling a little better. Ma'am, just to double check, you stashed the engagement ring in a drawer in your dressing table, correct?
5: That's right.
1: Can I ask which drawer?
5: The bottom drawer on the left-hand side. It's the largest one, like a double drawer. Two drawers in one.
1: Does that drawer have a lock?
5: Every drawer in my dressing table has one. If I ever engaged them, the lock would kick in automatically when I closed the drawer. But I must admit, I almost never engaged the locks. There's nothing in my dressing table worth taking, except lots of makeup.
1: Who has a key to your dressing table besides you?
5: Well, no one, really. To tell the truth, I don't keep the key myself.
1: Uh, Mrs.
2: Dulesier, can we then assume that you keep the key to the drawers affixed to the dressing table itself?
5: Why, yes, yes I do.
2: And you keep it high off the ground. Am I also correct in that assumption?
5: Well, yes, that's also correct. How on earth did you- I'm going
2: to guess that you've never worried much about the key because, as you say, you've never kept anything valuable in your
6: dressing table
2: besides makeup.
6: Thousands of dollars worth
4: Daddy Does
6: everyone in the household know about the key? I'd say everyone in the city knows
4: I've
5: never needed to keep it a secret, Mr. Bogey The key hangs from a hook atop the back of the dressing table
1: mirror So anyone in the household could have accessed that drawer earlier today?
5: Well, I suppose
0: they could have But no one was supposed to know about the ring. We all swore to keep it a secret. I certainly didn't tell anybody. Miss Daphne,
1: how long after Mr. Hammer left the ring with your mother did you learn it was missing?
0: Uh,
4: Oh my, it was barely an hour.
2: Can everybody remember where they were during that
6: hour?
5: I was in the kitchen
0: handling the food deliveries.
6: And I was in the library looking after some personal business.
8: I was in the library with Arthur.
0: I wasn't here at all! I left with Daschle, we shared a cab ride, I tried to sleep when I got home, but I was too excited! Mrs.
3: D told me to make myself scarce, so I did. Uh, I also took care of some personal business,
6: and then I wandered the city for a while to look at the Christmas
3: decorations.
6: If your personal business included laying so much as a finger on my daughter, I'll- Daddy,
3: really.
4: Dash is a far more honorable man than you give him credit for. Mr. Bogey, I was in the living room helping Wilkie with the decorations. I was decorating the tree.
1: And no one else was here during that time? No!
4: No one! Except...
1: <gasps> Except...
4: A delivery man arrived with a rather substantial load of poinsettias from the florist.
1: Ms.
2: Daphne, you dispatched Wilkie to receive that delivery, correct? Yes, I did. Why is that?
4: I was on the ladder, seeing to the decorations on the Christmas tree. I was almost all the way to the top.
2: Yes. Almost all the way to the top. But before Wilkie admitted the delivery man, something interrupted your work, did it not?
4: That's quite right.
7: Betty, would you care to enlighten us about that interruption? You capricious canine. Why drag me into this?
1: I guess we could just ask Miss Daphne.
7: (laughs) The two of you are intolerable. Miss Daphne came down from the ladder to tend to me. What was wrong, Miss Betty? Someone must have mixed that dreadful tuna with oil into my regular food. The stomach pain was indescribable. I was in absolute agony, near death, I'm certain of it.
2: Uh, Ms. Daphne, what did you do then?
7: Why, I scooped Betty up and carried her
4: into the bathroom. If she was going to make a mess, I wanted her to do it in a room without carpeting. I told her, I held her close, I sang to her, and after a while, she calmed down.
2: I'm going to go out on a limb here, Miss Daphne, and I'm going to guess that every time you tried to set her down, the pain returned.
7: Yes, that, that is so.
2: So you were occupied until
1: your mother called out to
2: you?
7: Exactly. Occupied, one might say, in the most worthy endeavor undertaken in this household today.
1: Yes, Miss Betty. So everyone in the household is accounted for. I'm accounted for, too. And now I'd like to ask Wilkie a question or two. Sir? Did you notice anything out of the ordinary during that hour? No, sir, I'm sure I didn't. Think carefully, Wilkie. Are you sure
9: you didn't notice anything? No, sir, not a... Wait a moment.
1: <gasps> Something happened. Didn't it?
9: Something happened, sir, but I hardly call it unusual. And what was it? Well, sir, Mrs. Delessier gave specific instructions as to where to place the poinsettias. I wanted the entire celebration to go smoothly. It wouldn't have done to start off by misplacing the poinsettias. And you dutifully
1: pointed out those places to the delivery man?
9: Well, I did indeed, sir.
1: Did the, 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 did the delivery man follow your instructions?
9: Well, sir, he started off doing just so, but after he placed just a few of them, he asked if he could use our restroom. Wilkie, you let a delivery man into the back of the house. Oh, your pardon, sir, but he looked miserable. He sat down at the boy's set as he was carrying and made a mad dash for it. Oh, pardon the misuse of your name, Mr. Hammer. No offense taken, Wilkie. I
1: want everyone to consider this situation carefully. Like Miss Daphne said, she was comforting Betty in the bathroom, Mrs. Delessier was in the kitchen, Dr. Delessier was in the library with Mr. Peregrine, Miss Jakes claims that she wasn't here at all. No, I wasn't. Not at all. And Wilkie, as we know, was in the living room arranging the poinsettias. Does anyone notice anything in particular about this scenario?
6: Oh, you're the detective, Barlow. Why don't you just tell us? Bogey, everyone
1: was distracted. Exactly. Think of it. How many of you can describe the person who delivers your mail? What about the people who collect your trash? The teller at the bank? Or the individual who bags your groceries? We never pay much attention to such people, do we? Especially
6: the delivery man.
8: You're right.
6: Well, you've got something there, Barlow. You've definitely got something.
7: Well, it is much more important to pay attention to your cat. This is so
9: exciting. Wilkie, can you describe the delivery man? Well, I can say he was taller than me, sir, but I'm afraid I don't stretch very high.
2: Perhaps I can assist you, Wilkie. The delivery man was six foot one. He wore slate blue trousers and a red striped shirt with the logo of the florist on the pocket. He had brown hair, slicked back, and tucked underneath a baseball cap that also bore the logo of the florist. Finally, I can say with certainty that he wore sunglasses.
9: I remember the cap and the dark glasses, but how can you be so sure about the rest?
1: Easily, Miss Wilkie. Do you know anyone who Bogey's description fits?
8: I certainly do. That's brilliant, Bogey. Just brilliant. What's brilliant? The description fits Chandler Ray. I do- I never
5: trusted him me. from the moment what? I- WHAT?! Chandler, you didn't. You sneaked into my house?
2: Chandler used the ruse of needing the restroom to hasten back to Mrs. Delessier's bedroom. As she had pointed out, the location of the key was common knowledge. And it would be quick and easy to search the drawers for a jewelry box sitting amidst a pile of makeup. Why, you flea-bitten mange ball, How dare you call me a thief! I don't need to steal anything to claim what is
10: rightfully mine! I did not steal that ring! I never said you did, Mr. Ray. In in fact, I'm quite certain that you did not. See there? Despite your puerile attempts to make me look like a common criminal in front of my fiancé, I am innocent. I'm sorry, Mr. Ray. Apology accepted. There's a good dog. Now, Arthur, do you suppose you could direct your servant to fetch me a finger or two of that fine scotch you keep?
2: If you'd let me finish the sentence, Mr. Ray, I'm sorry. I know you didn't steal the ring, but only because you couldn't. The key was gone.
4: (gasps) gone? Gone! Wait a minute. Chandler, how did you know her mother hid the ring?
10: Oh. I... Oh.
1: You had someone on the inside. (gasps) Didn't you? Now you're making up stories!
0: Chandler, honey, I swear the key was there when I went in and looked!
8: Be quiet, you stupid cow! Honey? Stupid cow! Shirley?
0: Uh, uh, Daphne, I'm so sorry!
4: I want you to leave now, Shirley. I want you and Chandler to leave. Now. And never come back.
0: Fine! Just flush all those years of friendship down the drain. All that support! Daphne isn't flushing anything, Shirley. You are. Well, why shouldn't I? She was brought up in all of this luxury. I was raised in a two-bedroom cape cod with a leaky roof. Daffy, if you're not interested in maintaining a whole new lifestyle, fine. But I certainly am.
2: So that's why, the minute you were free last evening, you telephoned Mr. Ray to tell him about the ring. You simpering pack of peasants! You should be grateful that I am so
10: passionate in my pursuit of Daphne's affections. Imagine how high her reputation will soar when her last name changes to Ray, and she's backed by the Ray family fortune.
4: Chandler! Honey, what about us? Ray was using you, surely? You and I were friends once, so I'm sorry to see you
3: so misled and so hurt. But there may be a silver lining here, or maybe we should call it a stainless steel lining. Ah, the voice of the Oracle descends to enlighten us. What the devil are you talking about? You remember when I told you that one of my specialties is research? Of course. I was simply a tremble at the thought of the riches your skills could help you accumulate. Funny you should mention, riches. I found an article on the Society page in today's Daily News. I immediately turned it over to Mr. Peregrine here.
10: Did you find it scintillating reading?
8: I certainly did. So scintillating that I turned it right over to Bogie. Did you now? Do you mean to tell me that Fido
2: can read? I also take notes.
8: Bogey, would you be so kind as to read the underlined passage to us?
2: Just let me put my glasses on here. Oh, wait a minute.
8: That dog wears
2: glasses? Just for reading. And taking notes.
7: I think they bring out his intelligence. Don't you?
2: Here it is. Mr. and Mrs. John H. Ray, CEOs of the Ray Sunglass Corporation and the holders of its fortune, have announced that they are revoking their son Chandler's trust fund and cutting off all monies as a result of his substantial gambling debt. The boy is a disgrace to this family, said Mr. Ray. I won't have our name dragged through the mud by his profligacy. His mother and I have given him chances time and time again. Perhaps one day he'll straighten himself out but he won't get another nickel out of us until he does.
0: What? Chandler, you're b- b- broke?
3: Looks like you're just one of us common folk now, Chandler. But but I this cannot be. They can't do this. Sorry, Chandler, but they not only can do this, it looks like they have. Now, do you make a graceful exit like a good fellow. But this is
0: they they can't. I I don't Mommy! You're broke. Keep going. No, wait. Sheila, darling.
2: <laughs> that was exciting.
8: Poor surely. Ah, that was brilliant. Arthur, I don't think you'll need to worry about him showing his face around here anymore.
6: Good riddance to complete rubbish. We have you two to thank for this.
8: Indeed. A job well done. Wait! What is it now, Jean? The ring, Daddy. We still
5: haven't found the ring. Oh,
6: yes, the ring. Boggy? I have an odd question for the Dulessier family. Well, that'll be a first for today.
2: What's your question? Do you open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning?
6: Christmas morning, no arguments.
4: Arthur, you're impossible. You know it wasn't always that way. When I was a little girl, Mother used to let me stay up until after the party on Christmas Eve. She let me open one present and then I was off to bed. On that point, Daddy was resolute. No arguments.
2: Mrs. Dulessier, when do you put the gifts for the family at the base of the tree?
4: Always
5: after the party. After Daphne had gone to bed. Back then at that hour, she could hardly keep her head up. We could have walked through her room banging trash can lids together and she wouldn't have even noticed.
1: So
6: then you haven't put out anything for tomorrow morning? No, we have not. We have a party to get ready for if anyone is still interested in it. Then there shouldn't be anything under the tree, should there?
2: No, there, wait a minute.
6: Oh, I suggest
2: you not wait a single minute longer, Miss Daphne.
8: Whoa, look at that young lady fly, just like when she was a little girl. Is there anything under there, Daffy? Oh, my goodness, there is. Dash, there is! Well, what is it, dear?
6: Don't keep us in suspense.
5: Why, Arthur...
6: Might as well play along. (gasps) Look! It's the ring! Not quite. What do you mean, not quite? I can hear something rattling around in that box. This will take a few more minutes, and and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings,
1: but the ring is not in that box. But something is. Miss Daphne. perhaps you'd care to open it and show us? It's...
4: The key. The key to Mother's dressing table.
6: Now look here, you two. I'll admit you've shown some savvy, but my daughter's heart has been toyed with enough, and on Christmas Eve yet. What are you two playing at?
8: Where is the ring? Uh, Has someone gotten away with the ring?
9: I wish I knew.
2: Doctor and Mrs. Dulessier, I promise you that no such thing has happened. In fact, the ring and the thief are in this very room at this exact moment.
6: What? Where? Explain yourselves right now. We shall, sir.
2: Mr. Barlow and I discussed this matter quite thoroughly in our spare moments since we arrived here today.
1: Here's some of the things we know. In the first place, Mrs. Delessier freely gave her blessing to this engagement, but she may have felt some pangs. After all, her only child would soon be on her way out of the nest, so she may have been tempted. Uh I would
5: never stand between my daughter and her happiness. I didn't steal the ring. No,
1: ma'am. Of course you didn't. Now the Doctor, on the other hand, enjoys a reputation that any conscientious father would treasure. An explosive temper and a fiercely protective attitude toward his daughter. I'll
6: bet that scared off many a prospective suitor. Doctor, am I right? Well, my bark is far worse than my bite. No offense. None taken. Yes, I admit I cultivated that reputation. I was only too happy to scare young men into treating my daughter well. But the truth is, I have never followed through with a single one of my threats. I was content to just be loud. Although, I cheerfully would have torn that smug, cheesy smirk off of Chandler Ray's face if it came right down to it. I have no doubt. I would have helped you. But wait. I didn't steal that ring either. In fact,
1: Peregrine has a paper. We know that you didn't steal the ring, Doctor, and I promise we'll get to the paper in just a few moments. Now, what about you, Miss Daphne? We know you were awfully anxious to wear that ring after Mr. Hammer's proposal.
4: Uh, what? Why would I steal a ring that would have been mine in a few
3: hours anyway? If Daphne simply wanted to turn me down... Dash, I- no! I, I would never turn you
4: down.
1: Oh no, no, I understand. We know you didn't steal the ring. And regarding Mr.
3: Hammer... Now, just a moment. If I wanted to keep the ring, I would have just hung on to it instead of entrusting Mrs. Delessier with its safekeeping. If I, for some reason, got nervous about leaving it in someone else's possession, I would have just asked for it back. I did not steal that ring.
2: Quite correct, Mr. Hammer. You did not steal the ring. But that only leaves...
9: Wilkie? Oh, no, not Wilkie. I never did any such thing, Mrs. I've never taken a thing from your house that didn't belong to me. Why, I even wipe my feet on the way out so that I don't make off with your dust.
6: Barlow, do you mean to tell
1: me? No, sir, I don't mean to accuse Wilkie.
9: That's everyone who lives here.
1: Not quite everyone. Then
4: who? Ma. No, it can't be.
2: Mrs. Dulessier, Ms. Daphne, Doctor, Mr. Peregrine, Mr. Hammer, Ms. Wilkie. Mr. Barlow and I had to ask ourselves a few questions. What thief was agile enough to climb the back of a dressing table mirror to fetch the key, and yet follow that up by squeezing into a tight space, like a drawer? At the same time, the thief proved to be markedly nonchalant about things. Why was the key to the dressing table taken, but not returned? Also, who in this
1: household would be so cavalier as to toss a jewelry box under the tree? Earlier, we noted that Bogey had gone to school to get his certification and his license as a private investigator. Yes, I remember that. Boge, you want to tell them what you learned? Specifically, everyone, one of the most
2: valuable lessons I learned was about collecting evidence. Anyone can scour a given location for evidence, but in so doing, they look down, or at eye level. They almost never look up. Best
1: lesson Bogey ever taught me. We knew where the ring was the moment we entered this room. You did? Where? That's a mighty impressive tree you have there, Doctor. Oh, hang the tree. What has the tree got to do with it? No, don't soft-pedal it, Doctor. Apart from the big
2: one where the ice skaters go, it's the talk of the city. People hold their breath hoping
1: for an invitation to your Christmas party, just to catch a glimpse of it. The thousands of lights? The beautiful, the jeweled garland? The sumptuous, hand-painted ornaments, and to top it all off? Yes, to top it all off,
2: that amazing star at the top of the tree. Genuine, hand-blown crystal with a diamond in the center, and spires of real gold gleaming
1: out from it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Christmas time. We should expect to be looking up, so let's follow Bogey's advice and look up. Look up at
8: the star. Good heavens! Where be? Oh my word! Let me get the ladder. Daffy!
4: Here it
3: is! It was stuck on the spire!
4: Dash! Dash! I'm speechless. It's beautiful.
3: It's the second most beautiful thing in this room. Should I do this now?
4: You don't want to stash it someplace until all my friends get here? No! Oh!
6: Just a moment, just a moment.
4: Daddy? Why
6: well, haven't given my consent yet?
4: Oh, Arthur!
5: I'm
6: serious. I want to know how you plan to support my daughter. Do you think you're going to sponge off of me? I wouldn't hear of it, sir. Arthur, right, mm, uh... Not now, Mason. This is a personal matter, not a legal one. You should let Mr. Peregrine talk, sir. You see, I know your reputation.
3: I was falling in love with Daffy. Daphne, and I knew you'd suspect that a nobody from Jersey City would only be after your money.
6: I suspected that very thing.
3: So, as long as Mr. Peregrine was here, I asked him for help. Help that I have paid for, on my
8: own, in full. Like I tried to tell you a couple of times lately, Arthur, I have a paper here that will surely interest you. Oh, what
6: is this now? I, Dashiel Hammer, do hereby, etc., etc., Furthermore, I solemnly swear, etc. Et Good Lord, Almighty! Daddy, Arthur, what is it? Well, it's a prenuptial agreement. Mister Hammer here has sworn never to touch a penny of Dulessier money. He also promises that if anything happens to compel him and Daphne apart, he gets nothing—not
8: a nickel. Dashiell Hammer! Oh, my son! It's a genuine legal document, Arthur, signed and notarized. I want to marry
3: Daphne, Dr. D. I fully admit that the prospects of becoming a successful writer are dim, but it's what I was born to do. I'll never give you, I'll never give Daphne, a reason to wish I hadn't married her.
5: I told you, Daphne, hold on tight to this man and don't let go. Just another moment. Daddy, what more does Dash have to do
4: to prove he's genuine?
6: This isn't about Hammer, Daphne. Peregrine, would you show them? I have a little document of my own I want you two to see.
4: What is?
3: Oh, oh my word! Daddy, Doctor D, I, I don't know what to say.
5: Well, since I don't have any documents to show off, will someone please let me in on this?
6: It's my new will, Jean. My new will. It stipulates that in the event of our passing, everything goes to Daphne Hammer, née Dulacier, and her husband Dashew.
5: Oh, you big soft teddy bear.
6: You have my blessing, both of you. Dashiell, Dash, put that ring on her finger and let's
7: have a party. With pleasure, sir.
4: Betty, won't you join us?
7: I think I'll have a lie down myself.
4: Betty, is something wrong?
7: Yes, Daphne, I stole the ring.
4: We already figured that out.
2: (laughs) We knew it was you before we got here, Betty. In addition to everything we've already said, the thief knew how to use keys.
7: But Betty doesn't know how to use keys. Mm -hmm. Remember the Bentley incident, Mommy Dearest? That
2: was you? I helped her to see the light, Doctor. No harm was done. Betty, you knew no one would notice the ring after you'd placed it up so high. You had a couple of close calls there. Somehow you needed to keep Miss Daphne from reaching the top of that tree with those decorations. So you feigned a stomachache to get her to climb down. And she never got a close look at the star.
7: But why? Why'd you do it? You have your new love, Daphne. You and I have always been each other's best friend, but you are leaving me. I'm going to be left to live with that awful doctor. I suppose I'll be reduced to wandering back alleys and sifting through dumpsters looking for smelly old fish. Betty, do you think I'm just going to abandon you? I'm not blind, Daphne. Well, I was at birth, but show me a cat that wasn't. I see how much you've fallen in love with that horrible Mr. Hammer. You're going to fly away with him and I'll never see you again. You know, Betty, you could have just spoken to me. We're
4: a package deal, Dash knows that.
3: I sure do, Betty. I've had to prove myself to quite a few people tonight, so what's one more? I brought one last gift and it's for you. You, a gift? For me? For you and no one else. I want you to be part of our family too.
7: What on earth? Oh my good lord, can it be? Is this catnip? It is, Miss Betty. All for you. Daphne, could you excuse me for a little while?
4: Take as much time as you need, dear.
7: Wow.
6: (laughs) Wilkie, we have guests. Would anyone mind if we started our party now? That is, if there are no more questions or objections? None.
5: Congratulations, you two. I wish you every happiness.
6: As do I. Meow.
1: Bogey and I left behind one happy household. The good doctor compensated us generously for our time and our success. The snow had stopped and it was turning into a beautiful evening. Even though we were suddenly flush, Bogey and I decided to walk home. We smiled at the decorations. We were dazzled by the lights. And we even peeked at the sky once or twice. Phil? Yeah, Bogue. I noticed that our route home is taking us right past the butcher's. Well, so it is. You know what I notice? What's that? It's, uh, Christmas Eve and it's getting close to dinner time. And it looks to me like the butcher hasn't put up the shutters quite yet.
2: Is that so? Well, we've been well-paid for our work today, so...
1: Are you thinking what I'm thinking? A ribeye apiece for Christmas dinner? That was exactly what I was thinking. Phil? Yeah, Bo? I think this is the
2: continuation of a beautiful friendship. Ha! Merry Christmas, partner. A Merry Christmas to you, my friend.
7: Meow. <laughs>
12: Joining us for this evening's live performance of the Indiana Public Radio holiday radio drama, A Chris Mystery, was written by Michael Kleber. Featuring the talents of Sean Arlosky as Bill Barlow, Dick Batu as Bogey the Dog, Katie Lynn Wolf as Betty the Cat, Riley Gilmer as Daphne (laughs) Dulacier. Ian Gonzalez was Dashiell Hammer. Courtney Masha as Jean Dulacier. Josh Gruber was Arthur Dulacier. Tom Cherry as Mason Peregrin. Spencer Beathers as Chandler Ray. Michelle Kinsey as Shirley Jakes. Debbie Gertman as Wilkie. A Crisp Mystery was directed by David Taylor Little. Musical direction by Michael Elliott. Stage manager was Haley Cranston. Sound effects by Quincy Carr. Executive produced by Jennifer Blackmer. Our musicians. Taya Mirabelli, Noah Smesler, and Landon Thompson. Our vocalists, Cece Donathan, Annabeth Elston, Olivia Broadwater, Lauren Enriquez, Ben Adair, Brayden Schilling, Sam Billman, and Rashawn Stewarts. Video by Donnie Kreps, Sarah Kreps, and Chris Fluke. Broadcast Engineer Sean Ashcraft. House Audio Engineers Jeff Seitz. Audio Engineers Paul Butler. Presenting sponsor for a Christmas Mystery with Livestream Services. Major support from Meeks Mortuary and Crematory, Michelle Walker Thriven Financial, and Yorktown Public Library. Additional support provided by Marks Service Center and Prime Trust Federal Credit Union. Produced for Ball State Public Media by Angie Rep. Ladies and gentlemen, happy holidays and have a great night.